Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of Making It. I'm Bob Bigot from I Like to Make Stuff. I'm here with David Picciuto, the drunken woodworker, and Jimmy Duresta. Glad to have you guys with us tonight uh, listening to the podcast. Before we get started, I want to ask you, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, go there and leave us a review. Uh, tell us what you really think about it. Leave us a, you know, a star rating and a review. That really helps get the show in front of other people. We'd really appreciate it quite a bit. So to get rolling, we're going to talk about what we're working on. Jimmy, what are you working on right now? Uh, well, today I spent the day out in New Jersey at a warehouse. Interesting warehouse, by the way, which houses a lot of like uh, crazy props. That's why on my, my Duresta Instagram, I'm holding a big giant gavel. It was like five feet tall, really huge gavel. Uh, anyway, that's where they store the Crown Royal Bar, which fell over uh, no. <laughs> while it was being moved. And uh, yeah, the back bar cracked. So I had to replace the uh, the frosted glass. So Dave and I drove out to New Jersey about 25 miles away and spent the day just making sure uh, that the, the whole entire bar was good and ready to go. It was just that one thing that broke. So they asked me to go out there and repair that. And then uh, I got back this evening and Dave and I, Dave Welder and I dug into a uh, pair of fake cat paws, which you guys will see a little bit more about. <laughs> and I'll explain that later in the week. Yes, which we've seen and is really, really awesome. Mm. <laughs> thank yeah. you, thank you. Dave, what do you got going on? I am working on a kind of like a mail holder key rack, like the, something you put in your entryway. Out of pallet wood, I have a big pile of pallet wood in front of me. It's going to be one of those Your First Woodworking Project videos. So I'm, I'm oh, hoping nice. to like, yeah, all you need is a little jigsaw and a drill and you can make this. And that's what I'm working on right now. I'm also shooting, I'm in the middle of shooting uh, a CNC video. I've never done two videos at one time. I think you guys have both done that. That's that's new for me. So, What, do you, what are you finding different about shooting two at one time? Um, just nothing. Because uh, it's just like, okay, that's, I, I, I reached a good uh, milestone with that project. I'm going to go on to here and my energy is still up because I've moved on to kind of something else. And the only thing different is like, okay, when I, uh, I, I might have two different projects on one SD card. So I separate them into two different projects right away. So clips don't get confused or deleted accidentally. That's my biggest fear is just like accidentally deleting a clip about, yeah, yeah with mm-hmm. working with two different projects at one time. Yeah. I always download my, I just downloaded footage just now while we've been talking. I make sure I get it off the camera right away. And so it's at least in two spots. So I know it's on the camera and it's on the computer if there's any problems. At least for a little while. Yeah, so, I was actually talking to somebody about um, when we talked about how we made our videos. I had a few comments, that, some more questions about it um, last week or the week before, whenever that was. And it was something I forgot to mention that I found is really handy in the process of making videos. And then we can move on past this. But <clears throat> I found that I it, it was really beneficial for me to have two of, a, of certain things, especially batteries and memory cards. And so I found that if, if I have one battery in the charger and, you know, it's like a knockoff brand, it's not a Canon, you know, it's like the cheap battery. But if I have one in the charger, then I don't have to worry about having a dead battery in the camera ever mm-hmm. because they just swap out. I've always got that. Yep. And once I did that, I was like, wow, this, this really makes it more productive. And then I realized I was doing the same thing with memory cards. So I got a second memory card. So anytime one gets filled up, which happens pretty often, I take it to the computer, start pulling the footage from that and stick in the other card and keep shooting. And so... You know, redundancies like that um, for anybody that's looking to like make their workflow, you know, more more productive and keep things moving. 
finding some points like that where you need redundancies might be a good thing to mm-hmm. do. I do find that the the knockoff batteries, they're only like five or six bucks on Amazon or eBay, where like a Nikon or Sony battery is like 30, 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. So, and they work just as well. And I also have multiple uh, SD cards, and I get the highest rated, whatever it is, class 10 at like 92 megabits per second speed. If you're doing video, you want something that writes fast, and, 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 and the files move faster too. So that's that's a good Good tip, Bob. Yeah, and actually, when you're talking about the SD cards, I have two different kinds, and I tried to get, like, not the the top-of-the-line one for my first card, and it worked fine for most applications. Then I got a nicer card when I got my backup. And so recently I was recording something, and I used a new microphone that I had that's like a higher-quality mic, and I went and recorded this shot and came back to listen to it, and there was no audio. Oh, that's a bummer. And so then I, I... I was trying to figure out exactly what the deal was. I switched mics and it was fine. But then I switched cards and it went back and forth. And it turned out that something about the throughput of the nicer mic was too much for the card to be able to write. And I don't understand exactly what the deal was there. But, you know, all those components can work together. So when you're, you know, looking at SD cards, David's totally right. Going for the nicest one is probably the safest bet. Mm-hmm. And here's another tip: don't get them at Best Buy. They are twice as much at Best Buy, at least for the SanDisk ones, as they are on Amazon. But so, Best Buy price matches Amazon. Do they? They do. Wow! Because I went there and I'm like, there's no way I'm paying for this card because I looked. I looked at it on my phone. And I'm like, it's twice as much. Yeah. Because the Class Ten cards are really expensive. Um, but I didn't know that. So I'm learning all kinds of good tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Bob, I, Bob, uh, what, are you, what are you working on this week? Did you? I'm actually finishing up the same things I was working on last week. <laughs> um, I'm still. I'm. I just did the voiceover for my XCar build video tonight, so that's you know <laughs> hopefully going to be out the door later on in the week, which would be great. Um, and then my uh, Connect Four got a lot farther with that. My wife right. actually this weekend took all my kids to Florida to see her family for the weekend. And so I had Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday <laughs> wow. by myself in the house, <laughs> incredible. which was, I mean, of course I missed them. And, you know, that was, it was weird to be so quiet and stuff, but talk about productivity, man. I was in yeah. the shop from, you know, 9am to like 2am and I, I would look up in the middle of the evening and be like, oh, I should probably go eat something. <laughs> <laughs> I do so, that. I do that all the time. Like, oh, it's two o'clock. I didn't eat breakfast or lunch yet i should do that yeah yeah so i'm still working on those two things but i actually got a whole lot done i ended up doing a a bunch of shop reorganization which is makes the shop bigger and makes it more productive and you know it was it was really good all the way around so uh uh bob by the way great interview last night with matthias wendell Mm. that was fun that was fun to watch yeah he really opened up he's uh he's a funny guy really funny yeah He's a yeah, smart it was dude. it was cool. I, it was really awesome to talk to him a little bit before and just during. I learned so much, um, you know, about why he's doing what he's doing, and yeah, it was really cool. So, if you don't know, we're talking about Bob's show called Brain Pick, which you can find on Bob's website and also on iTunes. Um, I put the episodes up, you know, within a week or so after the video as an audio only version. So that one will go up hopefully Friday. We'll see. Cool. All right. So, um, guys, we're talking tonight about um, how we learned what we do. And, you know, everybody has a different path in life. And it's funny, uh, you meet 
people in the in the handmade industry and you say, what did you go to college for? And they say, oh, I went to college for English. And you say, how'd you get here? You know, so just talking a little bit about each one of our paths and uh, you guys might be, uh, listeners might be surprised at some of the uh, the twists and turns everyone's career has taken. I just recently posted my, my video uh, about my New Orleans speech where I talk about my, my twists and turns, but uh, I left a lot of details out, which I can dig into a couple tonight. But um, that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, that was an Bob, excellent excellent talk, by the way. Uh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, just kind of shooting from the hip there, and uh, it, it was supposed to be a Q and A, and um, I try to lighten the room up and trying to get people a little bit loosey goosey, but nobody was really loosey goosey, and everyone was kind of just <laughs> looking, and so I kept talking, and then that's why I finally said, "Does anybody have a question?" Uh, <laughs> But no, it ended up coming out nice. I, I kind of watched it a few times before I decided to put it up. And I'm happy I put it up. I got some really nice comments on that. So that's good. You know, it's um, you just got to lay it out there and hope for the best. But, you know, you feel like you're standing up there naked when you do something like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I'm, I'm happy with it. And, and I'm like I said, I'm happy with the response. So Cool. So, Bob, uh, what, what brought you to where you are? What, was the, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, man. When I was little, I um – I wanted to be an archaeologist. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's crazy. So did for, I. For, really? Yeah, uh, I have a big interest in that, yeah. Yeah, so uh, that, that was it for years and years and years. And in the back of my mind, there was always the, you know, I want to work for Lego and design sets, which was, you know, never realistic, but always something I wanted to do. And uh, when it got closer to college time, I you know was kind of waffling on what I wanted to do. Ended up right before... I graduated from high school finding this art school in Savannah I was interested in going to. And I, I, it was funny. I went through this whole pitch. I was going to go to the state school in Kentucky, University of Kentucky, and was going to do like graphics or architecture or something. I hadn't really figured it out. So I found this art school and I was like, there's no way my parents are going to let me go to art school. So I, <laughs> without telling them, I came up with this whole pitch, you know, this whole, like I researched the school, found out the cost, did this whole thing. And then I came to them with this, this pitch and I was like, okay, here's the school. Here's what it does. Here's why I actually will be able to make a living coming out of the school and all you know, this stuff. And they were like, okay, <laughs> like, oh, I did wow. a bunch of work that I didn't need to do probably. But, um, <laughs> but it was really good because I was, I was super motivated, uh, to, to just try it out. And I still didn't have a real clear idea what I was going to do, but I, I ended up coming for graphic design, did that for about two quarters and, um, and then realized that I hadn't gotten to use a computer yet. And they were like, yes, you're not going to use a computer until your second year or third year or whatever. You what know, year was which, this? Because computers this was, didn't even exist when I was in school. <laughs> <laughs> this was 95. I mean, they were, they were around, but they wanted you to have the, you know, the hand-drawing fundamental type stuff, which yeah. is totally understandable. But I realized at that point that those fundamentals were not what I wanted. You know? So I switched to computer art, which at the time was just a general kind of computer studies for 3D animation, 2D animation, effects, there was no interactivity at that point. Did you um, learn Maya? Were you learning on Maya? What was the first yeah, program? Yeah, I did uh, Softimage for 3D. Oh, yeah. And then Maya was kind of coming up right when I was finishing school. So I did a little bit of it. Yeah, right on. But um, So I, I did that. And then in my last quarter of school, they started introducing some of the interactive programming type stuff. And none of the professors really knew a whole lot about it, knew how to teach it. And yeah. so my last quarter was a combination of me trying to finish up school and also on the side just seeking out all this knowledge for stuff that wasn't available in the school itself. And I think that was one of the big points when I <clears throat> found myself 
with a real desire to learn stuff that I had to actively go look for, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and through that last quarter or two quarters or whatever it was, I learned a whole lot about programming and, and got really, really interested in it and took a programming class my last quarter. And when I, on the last day of my, of college, my final class, the, uh, this professor who I loved, you know, we, we did our final review and then she said, come up here. I want you to talk to this other guy, the head of the department. So I go up there and she says, well, I'm leaving tomorrow to go back to Scotland and we need somebody to teach this class that you just taught or that you, that you just took. Can you teach this class? And I'm like, I, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I, and this was at spring break. I finished in, you know, the winter quarter. So basically I finished college. I had a week off and then I started teaching college. Wow. And the, the cool thing about that was because I had, I had immersed myself outside of school in learning this stuff that wasn't really available. I then had it really, you know, at the forefront of my brain to go back and teach other people about it. Um, and I, that just worked out really, really well. But, th- you know, from that, um, I went down the path of programming because I got so interested in chasing it and it was so new, you know, relatively new to the web uh, world at that time. I started a company, did web design on my own with this company for, I don't know, 10 years or something. And then, you know, have moved into different different parts of that same career since then. But, you know, a lot of it, I think, was just really proactive. I want to know how to do this thing. Nobody else yeah. knows how to teach me that thing, where I am. Curiosity. Yeah, exactly. Curiosity. So, I, so I just, I sought it out. But, so that's kind of how I got to where I am, you know, career-wise and, and learning. I think specifically I learn in a very different way, but we can get to that. So and what about what you? About- I'm going to ask you just another question about about okay. woodwork, uh, woodwork, and what, where you are the, at this moment. I mean, what is this something you always wanted to do? Woodwork and you know doing the videos and stuff. I know, I know the videos are sort of a manifestation of your 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 blogging. Um, yeah. But, uh, how what brought you to start to blog, for instance, and start to do the woodwork? Well, I I started. I mean, I've always made things on and off here and there. I, I think it mainly started in college, as far as people like I needed a bed for my apartment. You know, and, and so I was like, okay, let me build the cheapest bed I can make out of two by fours. And then I did that. And then a friend needed something and then I made something for them. And then I started getting tools for Christmas here and there. And, uh, my parents have always been really awesome. You know, going through college, my, my Christmas presents were always like, Hey, here's a router and a router table. Next year it was like, Hey, here's a table saw. Hey, here's That's a, great. you know, and it just built up like, wow, I have tools all of a sudden. And, um, and so it just kind of, I started making things here and there. And then as far as the blog um, I was spending so much time on the computer, so much time, you know, not doing anything with my hands for so many years that it got just like, I, I have to make something. I have to physically do something. And so I came up with the idea of doing this blog so that I could have a reason, a justification for spending time, you know, making things out of wood or out of whatever away from the family. That was kind of the thing. Like I had to be able to justify it to myself. And so that, um, that outlet got me started kind of down that path and then it just snowballed mm-hmm. very so, cool yeah yeah now here you are video and yeah you're uh get the premiere interview show on youtube <laughs> doing a podcast so, with yeah. you two guys which is <laughs> yeah. I, never thought I, would do. <laughs> I never thought i would do a podcast ever david what 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 was your what was your path your it's, loose path it's kind of funny um lots of twists and turns but mine is kind of along the same lines as bob um copycat yeah i know right 
I graduated to date myself. I graduated high school way back in 1993. Um, in, <laughs> I thought you beat both of you. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all young at heart, right? Yeah. Um. So in high school, I took four years of wood shop just because I hated high school. I hated I hated any kind of book class. I just had a bad attitude about a lot of things back then, and so I just wanted to take wood shop. And then I graduated high school with no plans on doing anything. I just I just wanted to play music and hang out with my my friends. And then like four years went Same by. Same with me. Yeah, right. I, I graduated high school. I had no idea what to do next. Yeah, I had no plans. There was no 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 thoughts of college at all. And then uh, you know just playing music and doing stupid things as as a young adult. And then four years went by and. I was working at Kmart for like four or five years. And I'm like, you know, maybe this isn't the right career path. My 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 band is not going to be the next big thing. So I decided to go to college. And I th- I'm glad I waited because when I w- decided to go to college, I wanted to go. So I, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't do very good in high school as far as grades. But when I decided to go to college, I mean, I was like the best student there. Because uh, I cared and I was paying for it myself. And I went to school for graphic design like Bob. And that's kind of a – if you go to college for graphic design, it's kind of a wide range because it includes – at least where I went, it, it includes photography. And at that time, the the web was a new thing. So there was some web stuff in there. And then package design and layout and, and all that. And I didn't know where I was going to go with that, but I knew that I really in, enjoyed that. So once I graduated – with my graphic design degree, worked for a newspaper where I was the photo editor. I took the negatives and scanned in all the photographs and photoshopped them to put them in the newspaper. And then they needed a website. And I was like, you know, I have an interest in web design. Let me let me play around. I think I can do this. And so I really started to dive into web design a little bit further. And as I learned, I'm like, I want to, this is what I want to do. And then I, I left that company and went for a uh, an ad agency in Toledo. Um, that didn't work out so well. They went, they went under basically. And then I got, uh, another, uh, job at another ad agency where I started out as a graphic designer there and then kind of turned into the web developer there. And I really, really liked web development. Like, like I just like every morning I, I turn on the computer and then I read all the web design blogs. Cause I'm just excited about like new technologies and stuff. And so that was, that was my passion for a long time. And so I worked at this agency for nine years. And then towards the end of that, I just like, I miss doing things with my hands, you know, and, and I, uh, I needed some picture frames for some of my photography art. And then it kind of got me back into woodworking and I discovered. Oh, yeah, uh, maybe you're saying that the picture frames. Yeah. The, the way you are now. Yeah. The picture frames got me to where I am. I, I, <clears throat> I discovered Wood Whisperer and Steve Ramsey. And I'm like, this woodworking stuff is awesome. So it was all kind of by chance. I took a lot of turns and, and, uh, and here we are now I'm, I'm obsessed with, with woodworking and I'm still watching Steve Ramsey and the Wood Whisperer and, and everybody else. And, you know, I just totally dove into it and just, just tried to learn everything as, as, as much as I could. And, uh, in a very short amount of time, took all my money, spent it all on my shop. I mean, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I just my savings just went right into my shop as table saw, bandsaw, and 
planner. This is all like that. in the last few years, right? All in the last far. few years. I've been woodworking less than four years, uh, like three and a half years or something like that. So, but you had a you had a basis though. You said from high school. From high school, uh, back in 1993 and 92, 91. So, but I still have that passion for web development. And then at my at the ad agency, I also shot video and did some photography there too. And so it all I I figured out how to do all of that together. So now I have my website. I still do the photography. I still do the videos and I'm woodworking. I figured out how to take all these skills that I built up through the last 20 years yeah. into a career. It just it's so weird and crazy how it just worked out. And now mm, I'm doing yeah. this thing that I love and all these skills that had no relation all of a sudden do, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. Uh, you know, I think that's why I always say don't ever consider anything you do waste of time because it's all going to come back. It's all going to be something that you're going to eventually come across to do again for yourself or for a client or something. It's uh, and and uh, I, I'm interviewing both of you guys, but uh, <laughs> uh, Bob, what is your hometown? Where did you grow up? Elizabethtown, Kentucky. And is that near Louisville? Or, or yeah, it's about forty five minutes, forty five minutes south of Louisville. Oh, right on. And uh, David, you, you're from Toledo all all the time. Um, other small towns around Toledo, Fremont, Ohio, Amore, Ohio, but um, most people will know Toledo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I grew up in Long Island, a small town called Woodmere, which is uh, about 20 miles from Manhattan. It's uh, I'm like right near JFK Airport, so I grew up my whole life kind of in Queens, like hanging out in Queens and Rockaway Beach and all around there, and uh, always wanting to go to the big city. It's kind of like Saturday Night Fever, but I didn't dance. It was about making things. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's let's hear your path. Uh, well, I I grew up um, in that small town with a bunch of friends, and uh, it's it's funny. All my friends grew up. I grew up with a group of guys that all should be comedians and actors. They were all very funny. I mean, like you think think of like Joe Pesci and like Goodfellas, but you know, not that violent. But those are the <laughs> type of guys I grew up with. Very funny, you know, like really witty group of guys. So I, I feel oh, like funny like a clown. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, including my brothers, of course, and my dad and, and my sisters and my, my sister and my mom, we're all, you know, so it, it kind of, my, my uh, I, I guess you could say like my uh, New York attitude and my New York wit has been exercised my whole life growing up with this, where I grew up. But um, my dad always built things and I was always very curious. I talked about that in my, in my New Orleans speech. But my dad always kind of nurtured that in me. I said somewhere along the way, my, my dad bought me a set of carving chisels and I was so intimidated by them. I didn't touch them until I was like 18 years old. And he bought them for me when I was like 10. And they'd been around like the whole time, like I would touch them, I'd take them out, look at them. And I never used them because I was afraid I was going to unsharpen them. Like, and I had no idea how to sharpen them. So, uh, but uh, I remember one day, my dad really, uh, he, he's been the biggest inspiration for me when it comes to making things because ever since I was little put me in front of all the saws and said, this is how you use a radial alarm saw. This is this, this is that. And, uh, he carved the wing of an Eagle. And, uh, I was like, Whoa, I had no idea you could do that. And he's like, yeah, he goes, you finish it. And I didn't really finish uh -huh. it. I was too intimidated to play with it, but it inspired me. I'm like, wow, if he could do that, you know, and he totally did it just to show me that it could be done. Uh, you know, it's, it was really cool of him. And uh, he only, he just carved one side. He never made a whole eagle. He only ever just made one wing. And he did it just because he was curious and he wanted to use the tools that he got me. Like, I think he wanted hmm. to just show me that they actually work. And uh, so anyway, so making things has always been there in the background, always. And uh, so 
my dad encouraged me. He went and spoke to the guidance counselors about how I could nurture my, I was the whole time I was in school, I was diagnosed with learning disability because I just never paid attention and I never studied and anything that was ever spoke about in class, I would just remember it. I never studied ever. So when it came time to take, I was like, Oh, we're taking a test today. Like I I never paid attention. I never like knew when things were going on. I always joke. I say when the the PSAT, I took the PSAT. And then a few months later, the teachers are all talking about the SAT. I'm like, didn't we just take this test? They go, no, no, that's the PSAT. I go, what's the difference? They go, P means pre. There's the practice <laughs> version. I'm like, you mean I got to do this again? They're like, the first time didn't count. This is just practice. Now this one counts. <laughs> that's the true story because I had absolutely no intentions of going to college. And uh, my dad was a fireman. So I thought maybe I'd end up being a fireman. And my older brother uh, was in the Marine Corps. So, I mean, I kind of thought about maybe going in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Uh, but when I graduated high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I had encountered a, a close friend of mine, still a good friend of mine, um, who had w- gone to the School of Visual Arts. And then another a mentor of mine, uh, this woman that I worked for when I was growing up, had also gone to the School of Visual Arts. And uh, so it had been kind of talked about as I grew up. But uh, my dad got me involved in um, architectural design. And so half the day, I would go to a different school for architecture and math. And uh, I literally would get on like the little bus at seven in the morning outside my house. And then the little bus would drop me off after art and uh, after architecture and design school. It was a vocational school that Long Island has. It's called BOCES. And if anybody from Long Island or East Coast might have heard of BOCES, Board of Cooperation, Board of Cooperational Educational Services. And it was basically a vocational school that high school kids would go to. And in the, the actual school that I was in half the day from seven to like noon, uh, they taught marine mechanics so you learn how to build you learn how to make a boat and wow build nice. build a motor right across the hall from my architectural uh, design class was uh the dentistry lab the whole, this is a tremendous room like it seemed like the size of a football field uh it was just all like lab tech uh, learning about how to make fake teeth and you know all amazing amazing uh, uh down the down the hall was all metal fabrication and it had a bad reputation because all like the dirtbag kids would go there because they just, you know, they, it wasn't a path to college. It was a path to, uh, to, you know, physically working. And so all the troublemakers went. And so um, at noontime, I'd get off the little yellow bus in front of school with like two other people and everybody would be like, where were you all day? Like, why do you get off that little bus? And uh, no, I grew up in sort of an affluent neighborhood where everybody I went to school with was on a college path. And me and all my good fellow friends, you know, we, we were just going to get jobs after school. It's okay to call the bus the short bus, by the way. Yeah, no, the, the short, yeah, that's what I mean, the short bus. So everyone's like, you got off a little, the short bus. Like, <laughs> is everything okay with you? <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth. I swear the girls would be like, I, so I saw you get off the bus when I was looking through the window of class today. Like, where do you go in the morning? <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, so by the time I graduated high school and I had to decide whether I wanted to architecture school i i had to cheat to get out of regents math i was i had to cheat off the kid in front of me to pass uh, physics regents in this as a senior in high school so i said like, there's no way i'm going to put myself through this torture and go to college for this because i realized uh, architecture is like a tremendous amount of of math and and engineering that all the technical stuff and and i just never felt like i was good at it i know what i wanted to look like but i don't know how to you know the, sh- the forces and stuff in time now in my life, I, I understand it much more than I did at the time. Um, but we were given assignments like, you know, this is the force, this is the load, this is the stress, this is the wind stress, this is the, you know, the, the compression of the soil, like all these mathematical equations I had to learn in architecture. 
and it took the fun out of it for me. And I was really more of like a free and easy kind of designer kind of mind. I was studying like Picasso and Andy Warhol and these are kind of the things that I would always look for. And, you know, Da Vinci, and I would always think to myself, you know, I don't really need to be an architect to, to design and build the things I want. I could be an artist and then just hire an engineer if I ever got a job designing anything complicated, like a building. And so um, after high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. <clears throat> and then uh, I, I bumped into Perry again. And Perry's like, hey, you should consider going to school. This is a year after I graduated. And I graduated high school in 1985. And uh, so uh, with a little encouragement from my buddy Perry and you know a couple of other things that were going on, I felt like I was kind of directionless a year after high school. I took a train to the city and I signed up for the School of Visual Arts night class just to kind of get my feet wet to see what it was about. And then eventually I became a full-time student. And, uh, but while I was a student, I was, I took graphic design because I didn't really have any other direction. Everyone said, Oh, you'd, you'd be a good graphic designer because I used to draw a lot. And then while I was in graphic design, I talk about this in my New Orleans speech. Uh, my graphic design teacher realized that I was probably better suited to be a 3d illustrator. And then I started doing 3d illustration with Kevin O'Callaghan, who was my portfolio teacher. And then I graduated, uh, with a portfolio that basically was heavy in uh, illustration, all three-dimensional, which like the final result of a 3D illustration is the photograph. So, um, you know, think about when you see editorials and it's a photograph of a, of a 3D model. Or like another good example at the time was uh, all the Absolute Vodka ads. Do you remember all those Absolute Vodka ads had mm -hmm. like the big 3D yeah. models and they were, the photograph was the finished piece. I actually spent the summer working at that studio. So I bring it, it was called Prop Art down here on Elizabeth Street, Manhattan. The guys that owned it were super nice and they had an amazing collection of cool props. Like you walk through that place and you're like, I saw that. Oh, I saw that. I saw that. And they're all advertisement props. And they would get to keep every model that they made because they said they, they, they're selling the photograph, not the model. So they would make the model and the photograph was the finished piece. And uh, all those absolute ads like that you think like, like absolute Pittsburgh is one that sticks out in my mind. And uh, it looked like the bottle had just been like forged in steel. Hmm. And it was all like glowing orange. It was in, it was like on the shelf in that place. Everything was like about the real size of an absolute bottle. It was pretty cool. I never did work on any of those, but I did a lot of, they, they specialized in miniatures. So I was working on miniatures. And then just before I graduated, I, I met Mark Seta Ducati, who was a, a, an inventor. And uh, he encouraged me to be an inventor in the toy business. And so he, you know, it was a slow go, but um, I was doing a toy design with him. And then with a lot of his friends and he, I, I just kept meeting people through him and then just developed my own group of friends through the toy business. And, and, uh, I designed toys from 1990 until 2008 designed and built toys. I used to go to China quite a bit. I did a lot of the engineering and I, I all learned, I learned it all on the job. I'd engineer how like the stresses and the toys and, you know, so everything before that, everything that came before that, you know, I, I talked about working, I worked in a sign shop in high school, cutting bandsaw stuff and, and uh, all my architectural experience from high school and um, all the while always just experimenting in the shop, the shop that my dad had built in my, my house that I grew up in. And all the while always had a, a wood shop there to play with. Hmm. So all these different experiences all came together in the toy business because I had the, the ability to, to make, design, build. And then, um, and then my brother John got me in the TV business. He said, you know, come and Help me shoot this concept for a show. And then the very first pitch meeting we went to, the guy there said, why don't you be in the show? I wasn't trying to be in the show. I was just trying to work on the show. <laughs> and I said, okay, why not? And uh, so we shot a pilot and everyone liked the pilot. And then, you know, so one thing led to another and I was, did a couple of different TV shows all the while still trying to do toy business stuff. And then after, it was really after Hammer that I really started doing private fabrication for interior designers. 
And uh, I slowly started leaving the toy business because it became less and less profitable. Every uh, every toy business gig became a thing like, hey, I got this great idea. You build the prototype and we'll share the royalties. So I was working for free all the time because the royalties very rarely came. And if they did, you know, there really wasn't enough to go around. And I never really was involved in any hugely successful toys. Uh, the squishy know, so eyeballs that that wasn't hugely successful. It was, but you know, it didn't. It wasn't enough to last twenty years. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and you know, we split it up. We had some partners with it, and you know, the company takes the the lion's share, and they share it with you because they do the hardest part. You know, they market it and manufacture it, and they also take all the liability and everything. So you get a small royalty, and then you know, I split it with my partners, who was my brother at the time, and then my friend Perry, who I mentioned earlier. He actually. He sort of got me in the School of Visual Arts, and then when we when I graduated, he graduated before me. We found each other in the toy business again, so it was kind of serendipitous for us to uh, kind of keep working together. And uh, he he and I kind of shared in the profits of the squishy eyeball. <laughs> and we always say, "Isn't it funny?" Because um, when I was working in the sign shop in let's see, this is going to be hard to remember exact dates, but it might have been 1985. I was working in the sign shop and. Perry came to work in the sign shop during his winter break at School of Visual Arts. And he said, I said, where have you been? Because he was ahead of me. He's like, oh, I'm at the School of Visual Arts now. And I said, oh, I'm going to graduate soon. I don't know what to do. And he said, you should go there. Anyway, fast forward 10 years, 11 years. And then he and I had the squishy eyeball product out on the market together. So, awesome. you know, we always, <laughs> we always say, you know, the serendipity, the serendipity that we met at the sign shop, you know, we got reacquainted because we hadn't seen each other. And, uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't for him coming to work at that sign shop, I probably wouldn't have gone to the School of Visual Arts because it was like that last conversation that put me over the edge to say, "Let me check this out." People keep talking about this place, hmm. and then uh, you know, and then we ended up working together. Um, yeah, and then you know, I talked about this again in my New Orleans speech. One thing led to another with TV, and it's just so frustrating. You just can't you just can't get anywhere. It's all in everybody else's hands, and like everybody that is like hugely successful on TV. There's a lot of luck, you know, of course, there's a lot of hard work, but, you know, luck is almost about as much of it as the hard work. And uh, I kept getting opportunities, but they just kind of were leading into dead ends. And so I feel really happy with where I am right now, just taking control and just doing YouTube and doing what I want when I want. And, you know, we're starting to make a little bit of money with it. And uh, but what's good about it is it's leading to to other gigs, you know, where people see what I'm doing and they're like, hey, can you build that for me? or you know, and and now I'm I'm kind of fully immersed in the commercial uh, marketing, building things for marketing, and uh, you know it's a it's a it's a lucrative business. You know, if it can play the game right, and um, and I get to make cool, fun stuff. You and, can't uh, beat that. You can't beat that. Yeah. I, from what I've heard from all three of us, we've all taken everything that we've learned throughout the past whatever twenty five years or so. Mm-hmm. And made it into a career, you know, multiple skills, and here, here we are. You know? Yeah, there was another thing that you both said actually that had stuck out to me, and I'd forgotten this. Before I was doing uh, this stuff on YouTube, I spent a couple of years doing music because I've I've always played music, and yeah, you both have <clears> been in. Some, yeah, mm-hmm. um, but I was actually doing music on YouTube, so I spent a couple of years doing these things called video songs, where you record a song. But then you video yourself actually doing the recording process. So when the song is mixed, you put together a video that's of the actual takes that you used. So you're actually seeing the performance. You know, it's not like a music video where it's all dubbed right. after the fact. And so there's a big 
Um, there's a big community of people that musicians that do that. And it's to me a really authentic way to see people perform and write music because you're actually seeing them do it um, and yeah. not fake it, you know, over their music. So I spent a couple of years doing that and, and through that built a lot of the video skill and built, built the, some, you know, audio engineering skill and, and all this stuff that I got to a point where I was like, well, I just can't really keep up with this. But though that time, those two years or so, had built a lot of skills that then sat there for six months or so. And then I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. I can make stuff <laughs> and use those videos. I can make videos about it. Yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, you're totally right, David. It's like all, you know, everything is a, is a, a stone stacked on the previous stack of stones, you know. That, yeah, it's a good way to uh, put it. Just when I, when I was stuff. a student, uh, when I was a student at, at school, I was extremely curious, which I think is another like key to the to the puzzle. Uh, another piece of the puzzle is that curiosity is really important. I was always just so curious of like how things got done. So I would uh, I, I mentioned this once before, but there was a, a TV show called Movie Magic that was um, hosted by Tom Bosley, who was the dad from Happy Days. Does anybody remember that show? No. Anybody in the audience waving I'd, their hand? Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was like kind of it pulled the curtain back on on prop making. It was the first time I saw anybody like sitting in a in a barber chair with like a head full of plaster getting their head casted, you know, with straws sticking out of their nose. You know, it was all this movie magic and they would show you how like a car chase, you know, was just done in segments and then when they put the sequence together, you'd see like this crazy, you know, adrenaline rush. Um and like breaking glass, like a breaking, breaking a bottle over someone's head is really just like sugar or whatever. And so all these things were handmade by artists. And that was always another thing. So while I was at the School of Visual Arts, I was constantly experimenting. And I had the, uh, the wherewithal to realize like this was my time to experiment. So when given an assignment, I would try and take it in all these crazy directions. And, you know, so I would be the one student when I'd come into class, everybody would be like, Oh, how did you do that? How'd you do that? Like, <laughs> nice. I, I, you know, and my, my, my inspiration was these TV, this TV show that I would see among others. But, you know, like I said, the basis of it all was really just curiosity and, uh, canal street in New York city isn't what it used to be. And in the eighties, canal street was full of crazy shops. Like, you know, you can go and buy like a box of gears and you could buy circuit boards and tubes and you know i wasn't much of an electronics guy but you have canal rubber which is really the only place that's still there you could buy like rubber sheets and foam rubber and mold making material and plastic tubes and chunks of metal so i was always down here on canal street during my school visual arts times buying and experimenting with all these materials and i found a lot of the other students uh my contemporaries were waiting to be told what to do okay this week we're going to design this go and find Mm. materials for that but i would go down there for one assignment and i'd end up buying all different things and i'd come back and i'd mix and match all these different materials and and people be like who told you about that i'm like go to canal street no one needs to tell you just walk around and uh so i found that you know a lot of people of course many people are curious but i notice a lot of people aren't and i think it's real important to you know kind of be curious about materials and tools and processes and just everything and uh as a student i was so curious and so i bring this is all leading to a point when i graduated school I knew so much more than, you know, a lot of my fellow graduates that the school invited me back to teach. And that's why I started teaching at the School of Visual Arts four years after I graduated. And I've been teaching there now for 21 years. So, and uh, oh, wow. that, it really helps me as a creative thinker to, to, to work with the students. I made a lot of good friends over the years uh, that were my students. And it, it helps me. It gives me, it's like always a new crop of creative minds to experiment with and talk with and, 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 you know, share my experiences with and, 
you know, and, and it, it, the mutual learning is, is the, the learning is mutual, I should say. Yeah. You, you mentioned, um, you know, just, just being curious about the, the things around you. And I've heard many times of people saying, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not creative. And I'm like, and I just tell them, you just have to open up and allow yourself to be creative and allow yourself to be inspired by the things around you. But I've never really knew how to say that in words, but I think just saying, be curious is actually very helpful. Like if yeah. you're curious about the things that are around you and about the way that things are built or the materials and how that material w was made or, or whatever, use that as the inspiration mm -hmm. to make yourself creative. Like I, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I take the dog for a walk and I'm, we're, we're looking at buildings or trees and you can see, I can see things and those shapes that I can mm -hmm. take into something else uh, and, and make. So you just have to yeah. open yourself up and just yeah. be curious. That's a, that's a great way to put yeah. that, you know, and never, and try never to be, you know, people, when you're with people and they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, how could you be bored? You know, it's like my <laughs> brain is my so, yeah. my brain is so trained to just like dissect things. It's like. If I'm not trying to think of something like, you know, whether it's a podcast topic or, or a movie topic or another list of things I need to do, you know, my brain is always racing. It's like, you know, I never seem to have enough note paper around me. I never seem to have enough Sharpies in my pocket. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just funny when people say, you know, I'm bored. Don't be bored. Look, you know, wherever you're sitting in your environment, just try and like yes. suck up, suck up something from that environment that you're in. So I'm curious about, um, so we've talked about how we got here. But I'm curious about now how we learn. Mm -hmm. So, David, how do you if you if you find something you want to know, how do you learn it now? Sure. the uh, The quick and easy answer to that is YouTube, of course. <laughs> right? Well, you know, <laughs> um, a better answer than that. Uh, a better, well, it, it's a pretty good answer, I think. You well, know? I get no, not not where you how. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so a a couple years ago, three years ago, when I started to get uh back into woodworking and i was just absorbing all the information that i could from youtube but there's a there's a point where you have to stop watching and you have to start doing right so i found a local teacher uh his name is scott there's not too many woodworking teachers outside of high school and college around this area and and so i just took a uh, a six-week class with him and and just once a week we went and we we built uh, a cabinet and we 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 learned how to how to dovetail, how to make uh, a case, uh, and then the the base frame and and a raised panel door. And there's so much like you can watch YouTube, you can watch DVDs, you can watch shows. But when somebody is right there showing you how to do something, it's it's a different experience because uh, if somebody shows you how to make a simple box on YouTube. You can make that box, but if you run into an issue that's unique to you or to your tools or to your environment, you don't have an answer to that. But when you learn with somebody, that, that teacher, that instructor can say, okay, you've run into this problem. Here's how you tackle that. Here's how you fix what, what just happened. And that's hands-on with somebody else is such a great way. Like when I got my lathe, I had my buddy Sean come over and he saved me hours of watching youtube videos or, or buying a dvd because he's just like here's what you need to look out for and uh, and here's how you do this so i really like finding somebody that you can stand beside learn and then ask questions when problems do happen 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's really important. Like just somebody asked me the other day, they said, Oh, I want to learn welding. I'm like, well, you can go buy a welder, but then you need a grinder and you need a bandsaw and you need all these other things. I said, why don't you just take a small class at a college? Um, you know, if you, cause she had no tools whatsoever. I said, take a small class at a college or maybe just, you know, use your assets. She's a young woman. I said, just go into a welding place and say, I want to learn how to weld. I'm sure four guys would be willing to help you for free. <laughs> so I said, just walk in anywhere and just be curious and just say, Oh, I want to learn how to weld. And, uh, you know, so it's important. Like you said, I'm just, I'm just reinforcing your point of work with someone that has experience. I could at least say, Hey, you know what? Here's the door. These are the few things you need to do. Go through it and, you know, don't get hurt. And, uh, you know, it's really important for someone. Like when I learned my ShopBot software, I was using it wrong when I first got it. And uh, I sat with uh, one of the, the people that work for ShopBot at Make a Fair. Now in the context of having the machine and knowing the program at least a little bit, I sat down with her and she said, these are the things you do. She showed me for five minutes and it like enlightened me. <laughs> and I never had to call them again. <laughs> they were so happy. Those five minutes she, sent, she spent with me, it, it, it was like my college course, those five minutes. She just said, oh, and I'm like, Oh, I could complete the light went off in my head. And I was, it was no longer a mystery to me. But uh, like I said, if you just ask a few pointed questions about anything in particular, it's, uh, it's really important. But uh, I just want to, before I forget, I met Kyle Toth this week. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to spend too much time together. But um, th- I bring that up because it reminds me of a, something where, where you say, how do we learn? I... I I I have intentions and uh, one of them is to go to, he went to Bennett street school in, in Boston to uh, woodwork. One of my, one of my goals that I'd like to try and do one of these days, if I ever had the time is to go to a school like that and just pretend like I don't know anything and just sit there as a regular student and just go in there and really not trying to be like a spy because of course I know how to do a lot of things, but I don't think I know how to do everything and just get instruction from someone that knows joinery really, really well. Mm. And uh, that's a goal of mine. And also in the same, same vein, I would like to try and go to uh, a welding school to get certified as a welder. But again, I would go in there and just completely listen and not say a word and not say like, Oh, I know how to do that. I'd keep my mouth completely shut. Be open and be curious. Yeah. And just be open and be curious. And so those are two things I'd really would like to do. Just get proper training, um, straight up and, uh, just listen and keep my mouth shut. So Bob. I, yeah. I was thinking about this a lot earlier and <clears throat> part of the conversation in the brain pick last night, um, got me thinking. So Matthias, anybody that's listening to this probably knows who he is and has probably seen his videos. If not, He's a very engineering-minded woodworker. And um, so we talked about all sorts of different things, but afterwards I was thinking a lot about the different approach between a lot of us on YouTube and how and why we do the things that we're doing. And it went down this rabbit hole, and I got to thinking about, for me personally, if I want to learn how to do a general, let's take a general thing like welding, right? If I want to learn how to be a good welder, I can't I can't really watch a video about welding. I mean I can, but it's not I'm not going to get a whole lot out of it. Um I can't even sit down with a welder and a piece of metal and figure it out. I what I need personally is I want to make a thing, right? So I want to make a I don't know, a steel table frame. And to do that, that requires, you know, these 15 skills or whatever, these particular things. And so for me to learn how to do a general thing, I need a specific target. And then that target re- has requirements. And, and then I lo- learn those 
those small requirements to get to that target. And then, you know, by the end of the whole thing, I kind of know how to weld, right? But for me, the whole thing is about a, a specific end goal that is the vehicle to get that knowledge. You know so, how to weld and you, you come away with a piece that you needed, right? Right, yeah. yeah. But so thinking about that, I mean, that's how I do it. But then talking to him last night, I got to thinking about how obviously everybody learns in a different way. But I wonder, and this is this is just theory. I have nothing to back this up. And I would love to hear from people you know, listening on Twitter or on Facebook or whatever to tell me how they learn. But I wonder if the people whose output is is less tangible, if they learn differently than people whose output is tangible. So like the three of us, we physically make things. We walk away with a physical thing that we can sell, give to somebody or whatever. Someone who maybe is just super steeped in electrical engineering or in really deep, dark code writing or, you know, something that, that is less tangible, that's more, you know, it's, it's just more ethereal. I wonder if they learn in a different way because the application is different, the end. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be really curious to hear people, you know, what people think about that. And I could be totally off base there, but I uh, ended up down this really <laughs> deep rabbit hole of thought about like, well, I think this way because I do this thing. So I wonder if somebody that does a different thing thinks a different way about how they learn it. Um, uh, I think but, I think one of the most important things to learn anything, whether it's you know learning a new language or whether it's learning a new language of say materials or or tools or, or computer language or Chinese or, or anything, you just got to start physically practicing it. You yeah. know, and, and if it's writing a book or writing a script, you got to start. You got to start writing. You can't keep reading about how to write a book. You got to start <laughs> writing a book. I mean, I learned that uh, I had this. Uh, I, there was a, a time uh, when I was very anxious to try and write a, a movie script and I had lots of ideas and I have some really, really crazy ideas. But I am, I just know right now in my life, I am not a good writer. I am horrible at writing. And, uh, you know, it's evident every time somebody needs a bio from me, I said, just scrap together something from me, find on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, yeah. I, Google me. <laughs> I go, you'll write a better one than I'll write. Believe me. <laughs> you add stuff to it. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so right now, me writing a movie script is is not a good idea. I collaborate with a couple of friends who I find are really good writers. Uh, so maybe one day uh, I'll have a couple of these ideas I have, you know, they'll become tangible. But um, I, like I said, the, the point I'm making here is the most important thing is to la- literally just practice. I, I'm not a good aluminum TIG welder, and it's pretty evident. And, you know, the trolls let me know it. Uh, so it's one of the things I want to learn. But I've got a TIG welder from uh, the guys at Longevity. And I just got out some aluminum and I started TIG welding. You know, what the, what's the worst that was going to happen? I'll, you know, I'll burn out a tungsten or something. But just start putting yourself through the physical motions and, uh, you know, you'll start firing on all cylinders eventually with enough practice. You guys have a good point. And when Bob is saying, like, to build something that you need and learn from that, um, it's, like, it's like dovetails. You could practice dovetails on on two different boards and become good at that, but that's that's a little bit different than doing dovetails for a full drawer, because then yeah. you, your brain has to kind of get around. Okay, I have these two boards. How do I connect these two boards to these two other boards? So actually, make a drawer with those dovetails, and you'll you'll learn so much faster. Learning a language like a programming language like jQuery or JavaScript, when you when you learn how to do that, though, always the first couple chapters are kind of like here are some basics, but chapter three is now we're going to build a calculator. And you actually have a, a physical thing that you 
you've programmed from beginning to end. And maybe you didn't understand every single thing along that way, but you made this thing and you got a better understanding of how everything works together. And then you can go from there. Yeah. And I think having those, you know, that success of even like a simple success at the beginning of yes. a learning path is yeah. huge. You know, you get one win and then you're like, oh, okay, cool. This is motivation. This, this is momentum, you know, and that, that just helps you learn more, get yeah. bigger wins, learn more, bigger wins. I did that. Just, uh, my experience, uh, that I, can re- I can relate to that, is my, my Arduino. I bought the Arduino cookbook, uh, Make a Fair, a couple years ago. I got my Arduino and, you know, my little Arduino kit, and I made the, you know, I made the light blink. I got so excited, <laughs> but I, I got off. I, I I didn't continue on it, which is is a, you know it's another short term goal is to get back into the Arduino thing, you know because now now it's becoming more tangible to me. I wanted to learn it before I really had an application for it, and uh, so it's I have some ideas now. And people are coming to me. They're like, "Hey, how can I make this light up when you walk by it?" And I'm like, "Oh, you need an Arduino." And I'm like, "What the hell am I talking about? I don't know how to use an Arduino, <laughs> but I know that's the application for it." Yeah. So, you know, now, now like the, the, the ends are starting to come together and I'm right there in the middle to make them connect. So it's, you know, it's just, it's just the society you live in and making yourself available to these things, you know, and, and then when you postulate on something like that, it eventually comes to you. So cool. Right on. Fancy words. Sorry. Postulate. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, I guess the message for tonight is be curious. Then. Be curious. That's such a good That's, message. Yeah. Yes. Oh, thank title, you. episode title right there. It's happening. Well, I think it's a good spot to stop for the night, uh, unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about. That's good. No, no, that was a good one. Uh, you know, we pulled that one out of the hat. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, uh, to wrap it up, uh, where can we find out about everybody? David? You can find me on drunkenwoodworker.com. And like always, that has my links to all my social medias and and uh, blogs and videos and everything that I do. Uh, you can find me at jimmydresta.com and take a look at David Welder's YouTube channel. David is uh, the producer of my tips and uh, Jimmy's tips videos. And, and Dave's uh, really been trying to put up some videos. So uh, I'm using this to to give Dave a, a plug. I give I, I give him two thumbs up. <laughs> cool. I give Yeah, me too. So that's cool. four thumbs up for David. <laughs> Cool. Well, um, before we go, I want to thank our patrons from Patreon. We've had some awesome, awesome support over there, and it just it means a whole lot for you guys to support us over there and help us do this show. Especially Nicholas Gomez, Luis Gonzalez, and Matthew Dickinson—they're the top patrons, and we really appreciate you guys. Um, and the T-shirts for the the exclusive Patreon T-shirts went in the mail yesterday. Mm. So if you're one of those patrons that's expecting a shirt, it's on its way to you. Um, so thanks to everybody who has supported us over there. Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.